Hi, this is DebtWire Managing Editor Andrew Ragsley, and you're listening to episode six of our DebtWired series. In a minute, you'll hear from Kelly Bowden Conlin, Managing Director in the Disputes Consulting Practice at Duffin Phelps. Kelly, of course, currently works in the financial advisory space, but over the course of her 25-year career, she's established a broad background, having formerly worked as a fiduciary, a prosecutor, and also as a regulator. In her current role, she regularly advises global companies on structural optimization, the Foreign Corruption Practices Act, mass tort, regulatory matters, and other business issues. Kelly's conversation with our deputy editor, Rashmi Basu, runs through what industries might fare better or worse in a post-pandemic world. Specifically, they discuss how some smart companies can maintain newfound efficiencies. Conversation also hits on mass tort being a catalyst for Chapter 11 and some claims management trends. Finally, Kelly weighs in on the finally Kelly weighs in on the ongoing debate over asset transfers. Hope you enjoy. Thank you for tuning into today's podcast. We have Kelly Conlin, a managing director at Duffin Phelps, who will touch upon a number of topics impacting the distressed landscape. Kelly, thank you so much for being here with us today. Thank so you, Rashmi. I'm so glad to be with you and Atwire. Thank you. So we're going to start uh, now. Um, my first question for you is, what bankruptcy trends did you see in 2020? Hey, well, you know, as we've all witnessed, it's been a crazy year. And uh, in 2020, we really saw the beginning of what I consider the wave, which you know, it's going to intensify in uh, 2021 and beyond. And it's really coming from those industries that have to shrink to profitability. And uh, what I mean by that when I say, when I say shrink to profitability is uh, industries where the overall demand has declined and it's just not going to return to pre-COVID levels because of systemic change. So what do I mean when I say that? Uh, the airline industry is, I think, the best example. So I agree with Bill Gates when he said air travel will not recover to more than 50% of its pre-COVID level ever. And why? Because I think the world has realized that we don't all need to be on planes. Maybe one of us needed to be there, but a lot of us didn't. And telecommunications have provided an answer for us. So as a result, we have fewer planes, fewer pilots, fewer companies leasing planes, and so on. Does that mean all airlines and related companies within the airline industry will go out of business? No, they won't and they can't. Um, but the best in breed have survived and they will survive. Again, they, they're going to have to shrink to profitability. And what does that mean? Eliminate the shareholders and convert excess debt to equity. And that is a process that's uniquely suited to bankruptcy. And it's also a story that we're going to see play out in office buildings, in the big cities, for all the same reasons. It's a story we're going to see play out for much of our brick-and-mortar retail. And I've seen, and I think we're going to continue to see, all those parts of the economy that were not benefited by but were harmed by COVID, and they're going to have the many failures within them. I guess COVID created a revelation for us that we didn't need, you know, all these people flying around in the business travel that I highlighted. Um, I think a large percentage of all travel 
is business travel. It's, it's a shocking number, like, you know, 70 to 80 percent. So I'm thinking if Bill Gates was even partially right, all travel-related industries are going to have to convert excess debt to equity, you know, as they shrink to profitability. And we're talking about good businesses here that are just too big given the reduced demand. So we've got too many jets. We've got too many hotel rooms. Somebody has to take the losses. And, you know, unfortunately, it's going to be the equity holders. But, you know, again, the, the, the best of breed are going to survive. So we're not going to get rid of all of them. We're getting rid of some of them. We're getting rid of the weakest of the herd and, you know, going through this major period of contraction. So I think that we're going to look back on this period of corporate history of, of how it was impacted by COVID because lots of companies have been propelled by COVID. And, you know, you see them every day, telecom, delivery, Amazon to the extreme, but anything home entertainment or tech, Apple, Microsoft, what do they call it? Fang, Facebook, Apple, Netflix, and Google. And, you know, I wonder, were those companies propelled or did COVID accelerate the transition to where we were going anyway? And, you know, on that line, I think about, you know, how people were just tipping their toe into the online grocery services deliveries, um, like Instacart. And, you know, my 80-year-old mother now orders her groceries from Whole Foods on Amazon. You know, it, it, she thought, oh, I have to touch everything. And she thought she had to pick out her own fruit. And uh, now she realizes that not only can someone else do that for her, but they're going to deliver it to her door. So if you take that idea and expand it to companies and law firms that have over the years, especially law firms, put such a premium on FaceTime in the office, I think they've learned during the pandemic that not only can they survive, but they've actually increased profitability with profitability with Zoom or WebEx calls. You know, gone are the days of the 10 lawyers at a deposition in Singapore when you can send one, others can participate by video. And um, it's my belief that companies are going to take these lessons and efficiencies learned into the post-pandemic world, and that domino effect will exacerbate the, you know, suffering past the airlines to hotels and Amtrak and restaurants and conferences. And, you know, when you're looking at companies that are going to need to restructure their balance sheets, you know, I think it's pretty easy for anyone to just, you know, stop and answer those questions themselves because it's the ones whose shrinkage are accelerated by COVID. Airlines, parts manufacturers, jet fuel processors, hotel operators, class A office building owners in major cities. And I mean, Again, some people say, well, that's all real estate. It's not all real estate. You'll see that luxury home builders are up. And, you know, two years ago, nobody wanted to live in a big house anymore. Right? You know, they were millennials that wanted experiences, and they were downsizing and moving to cities. And now people have fled the cities, are in, they're decluttering en masse, sort of, again, back to, you know, the Bill Gates predictions of, of 20 years ago. And then, you know, besides airlines, which industries did you also see as the most vulnerable in 2020? And what do you see happening to these sectors in 2021? Well, I think, um, you know, all of, all of those, the domino effects of, you know, any kind of travel, I think if you look at how the consumer has changed, that's also going to reflect what we're seeing, um, you know, in 2021 and beyond. Um, you know, they're more homebound now. They want to avoid crowds. 
how does that affect retail? Well, it's bad for brick and mortar, right? But it's good for delivery and e-commerce, which was up 47%, I think, over Christmas. It's great for Netflix, but it's really bad for movie theaters. Uh, great for Peloton, bad for ski resorts. And, you know, we've talked about restaurants a lot, but they just can't function in this structure, you know, unless they had a massive reduction in rent and they drastically reduced their pay for the servers and the bartenders and quadrupled the prices. I don't think restaurants can make it work within the existing cost structure. So, you know, again, I sound like a broken record, but we're talking about companies that have to shrink to profitability. And then just given the changes in consumer behavior, do you think that there's going to be a rebound in these industries, such as restaurants, retail, et cetera, or are they kind of doomed post-COVID? Well, I think, I think it's, you know, again, with the, the best in breed, I, I think restaurants, it, it's just a, a very difficult time for them. I think a lot of restaurants have already liquidated or just closed completely. Some will reopen. You'll probably have new restaurateurs emerging, but it's, um, you know, you see them trying to do takeout and, you know, people in their communities are trying to support local businesses. But again, it's, it's, restaurants are not an operation that can function in this structure. I think, I think a lot of them will go out of business and we'll see new ones. And I think that, you know, as far as, as retail, retail that, you know, is relevant, you know, that has to do with telecom or, or, you know, not anchors, anchors from, you know, big brick and mortar have really been, I think, hit very hard. Malls have been hit very hard. You see, you know, any companies that haven't gone out of business, there are so many store closings, which I think are an indicator that they're on the way. I think that retail that has been able to pivot to e-commerce, you know, will be a winner. You know, we've, we've seen Walmart move to the number two spot. They beat, kicked eBay out of the number two spot after Amazon as far as e-commerce is concerned. So, you know, they're certainly a winner there and other companies that have, have pivoted to e-commerce. And I liken it to the days of print media and, you know, the companies that survived were, were cognizant of that transition into digital media. And even before COVID, a lot of people were questioning the wherewithal of the bricks and mortar business, the, whether or not people would go back, you know, would go to the mall, would there be an increase in foot traffic? What is your prognosis for mall operators for 2021? Well, I think you're seeing a lot of, of negotiations happening with landlords who I think are pretty desperate, but you've been seeing a change in the types of stores that you see in malls. You don't see as many, as much retail, typical apparel type stores. You know, I'm seeing, I'm seeing more medical related, dentists, urgent care, veterinarians just in the malls. And, you know, you're seeing fewer restaurants. You know, there was a time where malls were transitioning to a lot more dining spaces and not just food courts, but, you know, actual restaurants within the malls. I think, you know, people are less likely 
to want to do that as well. Okay. And then, you know, kind of switching gears, um, there was so much liquidity in 2020. How did this impact the pace of restructurings? And were you actually surprised by just how much capital was out there? That's a good question, because um, I think this actually goes well beyond liquidity. You know, we have banks that did not default borrowers. Um, there was extraordinary liquidity being offered, but I think that result was just that it delayed the restructuring that uh, that's, needs to happen and that we've been talking about. Um, you cannot confuse liquidity with solvency, but because just because there's a lot of liquidity and interest rates are low doesn't change the fact that lots of companies are insolvent. And the only way to deal with insolvency in this environment is to reduce the debt by converting it to equity. And is that something that you've seen, is that there is a confusion between solvency and liquidity? that we kind of maybe as investors take it for granted that if a company can tap the capital markets, therefore maybe their balance sheet has been salvaged. Well, I think it's a Band-Aid and I, I don't think it will continue. Okay, and why is that, that it won't continue? Well, because the, these, are, these are companies that, that are, are actually insolvent and at some point the banks will call a default on them and, you know, they won't be able to meet their debts. The time to pay the piper will always come. Okay. So it's just kind of like an amend and extend is what we're kind of seeing in, the, in 2020. Exactly, yes. Okay. And then just touching upon the um, airline industry, so what do you see in terms of their liquidity and what do you kind of expect then for 2021? Well, again, airline traffic, just isn't going to return to the same levels. And, you know, not only, uh, you know, are companies seeing efficiencies in not sending all these people all over the world that they had felt was so important in the past. You know, we don't, we don't need all that carbon in the air. I, I think in 2021, we will see more airlines and airline-related companies filing. And another topic I want to ask you on, given that you have such an expertise on it, is can you talk about mass tort matters and what role do bankruptcy courts have in assessing these issues? Sure, absolutely. So um, what is a mass tort and what do we think of when we think of mass torts? Um, asbestos, talc, herbicides, pesticides, abuse, you know, it seems all over the map, but what do they have in common? Well, there's been a harm, and there's a lot of it, and it's making it ubiquitous or everywhere. So, I mean, that's, we call that a mass tort. Um, I mean, there are many ways to address mass torts, which uh, we don't need to address in the podcast, but as you mentioned, we do a lot to address mass torts at Duff and Phelps. But as far as bankruptcy is concerned, Bankruptcy courts are uniquely set up to address the really special circumstances inherent in mass torts, um, namely the issue and the complication of future claimants. So what's a future claimant? It's a claimant or a victim that isn't sick yet and cannot self-identify. So only a bankruptcy proceeding um, is a 
a place where you can cut off or contain any future liability for past action. And this is the reason you see so many mass tort defendants in bankruptcy. And I'll give you an example, asbestos, because it's, it's been around for so long. When I was the United States trustee of Region 3, all the major asbestos cases were tried within our region. And the reason is because the bankruptcy system is set up for these claimants and future claimants by use of a channeling injunction for what we call a 524G trust, which is a section of the bankruptcy code which allows a trust to be created to pay out claimants that have self-identified and future claimants as they emerge. And bankruptcy courts are the only courts that can do that. Now, using that 524G trust was very successful in asbestos cases, and now we're using them in opioids and talc and sex abuse cases. And, you know, that's the reason, because you can address these future claims. So is the system broken? I mean, do you find that the system is broken because bankruptcy courts are the only venue that can address it? Or do there need to be some changes made to the mass tort reform? Or if you can kind of touch upon that, what your view is? Well, the bankruptcy system is just, it's uniquely set up to deal with claims and the payment of claims, right, from a regular bankruptcy. So it just it just makes sense with all that experience, to me at least, that, that they would take that expertise and be able to apply it in a, a more challenging contest where you have the future claimants. Um, as far as that, I think it, the system that's broken is the tort system in um, our, regular, our regular court system. And um, it's not only because of the inability to address future claimants, like we discussed, but the way that the cases work through the tort system. So if you take asbestos, for example, there's little or no product ID required. So in the case of asbestos, you don't even need to tie it to a specific supplier. And, you know, there are certain evidentiary standards and, um, and, and standards regarding um, scientific testimony that most courts really aren't applying. They're just not applying the law and they're letting these issues go to juries that don't really belong there. And um, in my opinion, bankruptcy, you know, as discussed, is the solution to that broken tort system where everyone can be taken care of. Um, the companies can provide for not only the present claimants, but future claimants as well. It's just, it's a, it's a natural solution. And so what do you kind of expect, and this is a broad question, but what do you expect next about mass tort for 2021? Are we going to see more liabilities such as asbestos kind of hit the courts or? Well, you know, I think mass tort is going to continue to expand. Um, you know, I think asbestos has become less of a problem as its use has been diminished. Um, but, uh, you know, it's, it's out there and we've been able to take the lessons learned on um, claims management and, uh, and apply those to other types of mass torts. So, um, you know, the thing, uh, you think about, you know, the, the torts that we've talked about um, and then um, 
there's another variant of the mass tort where a company has large contingent liabilities. Um, you know, it's analogous to a mass tort, but you know, the content, these contingent liabilities are very difficult to estimate. They're not impossible, but the exact number is going to unfold over, you know, many years. And um, a lot of companies can't wait for that number of years in order to obtain, uh, to obtain some degree of certainty. So, um, you know, we're talking about like environmental liabilities. So, you know, they're, they're huge and you think about what it's going to take to clean it up or what cleaning up even means. And are you going to be the only source or is someone else a contributor? You know, is this lead paint coming out of your ceiling or is it coming out of a car or is it, you know, from a smelter, you know, somewhere in the middle of the U.S.? It's, it's hard to keep track of. And, you know, these, these cases take some time. So I think um, as far as uh, the bankruptcies are concerned, you know, these are more strategic and planned. Um, I think that the bankruptcies we're going to be seeing in the first quarter or two of 2021 will be those COVID-affected companies that were on the bubble but, you know, allowed to amend and extend as discussed, but, you know, just you know, the game of, of musical chairs is up and, you know, they're going to be filing in a more um, desperate situation. I think mass torts are more thoughtful because, you know, they're thinking about the, the corporate structure and they're thinking about, they're, they're talking with the multiple stakeholders in order to um, come to an agreement where everybody can be taken care of. So I think that we're going to keep seeing mass tort, and uh, you know I think they're generally going to be headed towards bankruptcy in the situations where we have future claimants that need to be addressed. And one thing I wanted to ask you was your opinion on asset stripping and the ring fencing of assets, something that we've been seeing quite a bit of. Do you expect to see more of that kind of behavior in 2021? Well, I'll say this. Ring fencing and asset stripping are pejorative terms. Companies are entitled to use the corporate form to their advantage, and they're also entitled to leave an entity with adequate assets, but not inadequate ones. So they're entitled to operate within the contractual provisions of their credit agreements and their indentures, but you know, they can't strip an entity of, of all of its assets and just leave the liabilities. So I would say that smart companies avail themselves of structures that will provide for what their creditors bargained for and no more. Okay, very interesting. And then one question I had for you is, we know that valuations are like in the DNA for advisors. Can you talk about your approach and how has COVID complicated valuations? And what assumptions should investors be making? I mean, it, it first depends on on what you're looking at, because it, it really depends on the assumptions that are embedded and, and the industry. So most valuations look at future earnings. Is there a spring back? Is there pent up demand? Or is this money lost forever? So um, 
like if you're a biomedical device company and you're dealing with cancer patients, you lose money in your first two quarters of 2020 because hospital, hospitals have been closed and they haven't been able to have cancer surgeries. But then in the third and fourth quarter, there's a huge surge when these surgeries are taking place because these people needed to have those surgeries. If you're a restaurant, that money is gone forever. You know, people, people can't come in in the third and fourth quarters if they were open, whatever state you happen to be living in, and just eat more. So it's really, COVID just becomes another data input when you're making assumptions in your valuation. And then last question, what are kind of your predictions for 2021? Well, again, I think we're going to see a lot, a lot of change. I mean, if you, if you're watching, you know, CNBC or Squawk Box, you know, they're all very excited about retail and certain types of retail. And, you know, they, they're looking at 2021 as, you know, after prohibition and everyone's going to leave the house and go to the malls and, you know, everyone's going to jump right back out there. And then you have another group of people who, you know, say, you know, after the vaccine, you know, it's, we're just waiting till the vaccine, whenever that happens. Well, healthcare workers, our frontline workers are being vaccinated. So we're going to have to wait. And so we're, not, we're now, we're looking at second or third quarter before people can get back out. I think that people are going to be more cautious. And I think that smart companies have learned from uh, the efficiencies that came out of, of the pandemic. I think that smart companies have learned how to cut costs and will never return to pre-COVID levels. I think that Airlines will never return to pre-COVID levels. I think people will travel, but not, not nearly as much. And I think that that's going to affect all of those related businesses. Great. And thank you for listening to today's podcast. And a special thank you to Kelly for providing us with such a deep dive into the restructuring world. Thank you, Kelly. Thank you. It was great to be here.